Welcome to the Faithbridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Ben Stewart and was recorded on Sunday, November 6th, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. And you can also follow us on Instagram at Faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called Faithbridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Ben. All right. Well, hello, everybody. It is great to see you. Uh, Let me just begin by saying it's so fun to be back. I love your pastor. I love this church. Uh, I love this state. Uh, It's been great to be back in Texas. Uh, I am full of uh, barbecue and tacos and full of love after having been here for a few days. It's been fantastic to be with you and uh, fun to be here today. So, all right. Fascinating. Uh, Ken has asked me to jump into the series you've been in and teach uh, a section I've never taught before, well, except for the first gathering, so that's kind of fun. Uh, he asked if I would talk about the end of the world. So I'm just going to read some headlines from the news, and then we'll... Uh, no, no, come on. Uh, we're going to read from uh, Luke chapter 17. So if you've got a copy of your scriptures, Luke 17, uh, I want to read a couple verses, uh, starting in verse 20. We'll kind of load uh, the text into our mind, uh, and then we'll pray and then move through it together. So uh, Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Uh, if, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures, no worries, just listen, I'll read it, and uh, we'll pray and then uh, jump in. So Luke uh, chapter 17, beginning in verse 20, talking about Jesus, it says... Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in a way that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here, do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. and The flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who's on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken, and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Okay, so let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for this moment. I just, I'm grateful, God that uh, we have this chance to to think your thoughts along with you about where this whole story is going. So I just, I thank you, God, for those who are in here who love you and trust you and are here to worship you. And I thank you for those who are in here that that don't know if you're real or any of this matters or if if this is something they want to be a part of. Just wherever we are, I just, 
I thank you that you've given us this moment to think about where our life is going and what it means to live on on the planet you made. And so, God, I just pray you would help us uh, understand your word. And I pray you would We'd not just understand it, but it would, it would affect us and affect the way we live uh, in the days you've given us. So I want to invite you, family, if you're up for it, to just take a minute and you pray and ask him. Say, Lord, please teach me today. Uh, and then if you would, please pray for me, that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I remember the first time I ever played Madden, uh, the football video game. Uh, It was at a buddy's house who owned the console, owned the game, so he knew how it worked, and uh, I was getting crushed. Uh, But there came a moment in the game where finally I switched up my offense, and I was having them run just these power plays right up the middle, these running plays, just giving the ball to the fullback and having them shoot up the middle. And I started finding some success. I'd get five yards, then I'd run again five yards and get a first down. Then I'd run five yards and five yards again and get another first down. And I'm driving the ball down the field, and then suddenly it stops working. And I can't get the players to move, and I look over at my friend, and I remember he looked over at me, and he said, you are an idiot. I was like, excuse me? And he said, man, there was only two minutes left on the clock and you were running these dumb little running plays up the middle, little five-yard plays, you need to be dropping bombs downfield trying to get to a receiver. Man, you needed to go. And I said, I didn't know there was two minutes left on the clock. And he said, that is what makes you an idiot. (laughs) Because that clock should impact the way you play the game. And that's the idea that Jesus is bringing across here, that history is not cyclical. It is a story that had a beginning, had a middle, and has an end. And how this game ends should impact the way we play the game. And so as we jump into this text with Luke, um, this is the third time, or this is the second of three times in Luke, Jesus will talk about the eschaton, eschatology, the study of last things. And when the Bible brings up the end of this story, how it will go, there's kind of two different ways it brings it up. At sometimes it talks about it with a sense of longing and desire, uh, like a bride waiting for the groom on her wedding day. Other times it will speak of the end with dread, uh, like a child waiting for dad to get home after you lit the carpet on fire. (laughs) And whether you see this day with desire or dread really depends on what team you're on. Uh, It's like today with the World Series. Is today a day of joy or sorrow? Depends on what team you're on. And here Jesus will present the last days. And in this text, it's the more of the emphasis on the side of dread. But to give you context, as we look at this, the end of days, what will it be like when his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth as it is in heaven? What will that day be like? Precipitating this is a moment where Jesus healed 10 lepers. It's pretty amazing. So divine power is pouring out of this man in this context, and the Pharisees, the religious leadership in the day, realize this guy is exerting power that's not human, it's not normal, but they're not sure they really like him. And so this opens with a question from the Pharisees to him about when the kingdom of God would come. And it's a legitimate question because in the Old Testament, when it talks about the kingdom coming, the king arriving, the Messiah coming to see God break into history, 
that God does rule all of things, but a day, uh, all things, but a day is coming when he breaks through in a more purposeful way, brings justice to the world and righteousness to the world and judges wickedness and establishes beauty and truth and grace. When God breaks into history like that, in the Old Testament, when it talks about that day, there is uh, cosmic signs, great physical upheaval. And so the Old Testament... Uh, gave people the expectation of that day. And here the Pharisees are, are, are looking for that. And yet here comes this guy. He's clearly got divine power, but he's not coming in uh, overthrowing Rome and establishing righteousness and judging the enemies of Israel. He's coming in humble. He's walking down the streets. Uh, he's, he's sitting with people who are wounded. And, and uh, he's not coming in might. He's coming in humility. And, and they're not vibing with it. They don't like it. And yet they realize he's got some kind of power, so they ask him a question. Now, it's important to point out, because this text doesn't really unpack it, the Pharisees ask Jesus questions all through Luke. And um, it's not so much like a, they ask a good question, but it's not so much they're looking for an answer. You see it come out more in other places. They're questioning him. They just don't really trust him or like him. But they see he's got power, and so they ask a question in verse 20. And it says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come... He answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in a way that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He says, they were waiting for these big divine cosmic signs, this, this huge physical upheaval. And so they're like, clearly this guy's got some kind of power. Okay, when's the kingdom going to come? And he says, no, 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 it's not coming the way you think, that it will be observed. He says, you're not going to see these cosmological signs. Rather, he says, the kingdom is in the midst of you. Now, there's some debate on what he means by in the midst of you. Uh, three popular views. One is uh, the King James Version. If you read it, it says the kingdom is within you. And some people read that and they go, what he's saying is, no, the kingdom's not this external thing. The kingdom's a feeling on the inside. It's what God does inside your heart. And that's wrong. Because he's talking to the Pharisees, who he said are sons of the devil. So he's not telling them the kingdom of God's inside of you. He's like, no, these guys are on the wrong side of the fence. So he's not saying that to them. He's saying it's within you, meaning within your community. And so the second view is a lot of people think, hey, the kingdom of God is within your grasp. It's close to you. And that's closer to the truth. I think the third option is the most obvious where he says, hey, you're looking for big cosmological signs. No, the kingdom's among you. It's in your midst. It's right here. Actually, it's staring you in the face. The kingdom is here because the king is here. And this is something Jesus criticized the Pharisees about before, is you're missing the obvious signs. I mean, he said it back in Luke 12. It says he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say, a shower is coming. And so it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He says, you look at the weather and see the clouds rolling in, you go, oh, it's going to rain. You look at me, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing fantastic, powerful things in the name of God, and centering myself, calling myself a divine messenger, the Messiah. And you're missing it. You're looking for a kingdom. The kingdom is already started. That's the first point about the kingdom come. It's already started. It's here. You don't need to keep looking around. You're looking at him. Uh, there was an old song by Rupert Holmes that says, you like piña coladas. Remember that song? I don't remember the name of it, but everyone knows that line. It's a real fun song. Ooh, it's tropical. Do you like, I like piña. You know, that whole deal. Listen to the song. What's the whole premise? This guy's married, doesn't like his wife, and so he takes out an article in a paper trying to have a, an affair. 
And so it's his ad in the paper. Do you like piña coladas? And then he gets a return. Someone writes back to him, I like piña coladas. And so they decide to go have a tryst. And so he shows up and the song resolves how? He shows up for the affair and it's his wife there. Not to catch him, but because she's the one who answered the ad. And then they laugh and laugh. Oh, we actually wanted each other. And it's a wonderful resolution that you go, oh, that's, no, I think there's some problems with this whole thing. Like, I think y'all should just march down to counseling. But the idea is what you're searching for, you already have. And he's telling them, you're looking for the kingdom and you're checking the skies. Look in front of you, see who I am. And I would challenge you, um, no one changed history like Jesus Christ, and he called himself the king. And so you be careful dismissing Christianity as an old religion. This man changed human history, and and our whole systems of justice around the world are built off the words of Jesus of Nazareth. Take this man seriously. And he's looking at them and saying, hey, this kingdom you're looking for, it started because the king is here. But then after he says it to the Pharisees, notice in the text, he turns to his disciples. Because really the Pharisees asked a fair question. But wait a minute, all through the Old Testament prophets, there are these big cosmological signs. There is this grand upheaval. There is a judgment as God breaks in to to, uh, bring justice and judgment on the earth and to redeem his people. How does that work? And so Jesus realizes, no, there's more to say about it. And he turns to his disciples in verse 22 and talks about not the inauguration of the kingdom, that happens now, but the consummation of the kingdom. What will it be like in the coming of the Son of Man? In verse 22, it says, and he said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they'll say to you, look there or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. It's interesting. He turns to his disciples, higher trust, higher revelation. And he says to them, hey, uh, behold, the days are coming. And, And that was key language. That was the language Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Amos, all these prophets would use when they were talking about the end of days, when God's kingdom would break into the earth. And so he says, hey, behold, the days are coming, for the Son of Man's days will be upon you. Now, the Son of Man was Jesus' favorite title for himself because there's a bit of mystery to it. It could mean that you're a son of a guy or it could mean something more. And it was at the end of his life, he revealed this whole time, I meant something more. And it's his quotation of Daniel chapter seven that gets him killed when he's on trial. Because in Daniel seven, it says, I saw the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus at his trial at the end of his life quotes this and says, I am the son of man. I look like a man, but you will see me riding on the clouds with power, seated on the throne of the ancient of days and all kingdoms will bow to me. That's either crazy or true. And here Jesus says, I'm the son of man and the day is coming where the son of man will return to establish this righteousness. He says, a day is coming. You're longing for it. And that's what's interesting. Do you notice he he puts it in the context of desire deferred. He says, hey, the kingdom started, but the coming of the days of the son of man, they're slow. You're gonna desire it. You're gonna long for these days and they're not gonna come. I'm gonna make you wait longer than you wanna wait. Now, some of us hear that and you go, I don't 
long for the coming of the Son of Man. You're like, I can't think of a day that I was like, you know what I'm looking for? Like, most of us don't think that way. And if I can be honest, it's because you haven't suffered enough. I mean, honestly. And I'm not trying to belittle your human experience, but I'm just saying the more loss you feel, the more injustice you suffer, the more suffering in humanity you watch, the more you long for a day where God will do what's right. God establish justice. God bring healing. God bring peace. God bring restoration. The more you feel the loss and the weight of our depravity, the more you long for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. And he tells disciples, I'm going to make you wait. The kingdom has started, but the kingdom's slow. I'm going to make you wait, and you're going to desire it. And that desire is going to make you long for it so much that people are going to say, hey, something really spiritual and crazy is happening in Florida. Go check it out. Or in Guatemala, you got to get down there. He's like, they're going to say, look, here it is. Or look, there it is. And he says, no, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't be drawn away by that. And then he uses this illustration. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky, the Son of Man will be like that. He says, it'll be slow, but it will be seen. It's not like when lightning strikes, you're like, was that lightning? We all know what it was. It will be obvious. He says, so don't worry you're going to miss my arrival. It'll be slower than you want, but you will see it. I'm going to show up. I will be here. I promise you. But it will be preceded by my suffering. That's the next part. In verse 25, he says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Now that's the surprise part. Because in the Old Testament, there's all these passages about the Son of Man coming, the Messiah coming, and he... he comes in righteousness, reigns in power, dismisses his enemies and sets up his kingdom in righteousness, beauty, and truth. And so there's this big idea of the king breaking in. And here, but Jesus keeps saying, but the son of man's gonna suffer. And, and you can tell the disciples don't like that part. But Jesus keeps bringing it up. It's four times in Luke. Luke 9, 22, he says, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. In Luke 9, 44, let these words sink into your ears. Son of man's about to be delivered into the hands of men. Luke 18, 32. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles, will be mocked, shamefully treated, and spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. So it's like every time he says it, they don't want to hear it. Hey, guys, I must suffer. Okay, is that like a metaphor of like inconvenience? Like, no, no. I mean, they're going to beat me and spit on me. And then, okay, is that sort of like some idea? You're saying that we're all going to go through a transformative. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm going to get arrested. They're going to murder me. I'm going to be buried and not stay dead. It's like they don't want to accept it. And so he keeps bringing it up. And he keeps saying the word must. It has to be this way. The son of man has to suffer. But they were confused by it. And, and here's the thing. It's, it's right that they were confused. It was confusing. The way Jesus talked about the arrival of the kingdom was a little confusing. So in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, he says, but if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He says, if I can cast out demons, you know the kingdom's here. And then he would cast out demons. And they were like, the kingdom's here. The king's here. But then in Luke eleven two, he says to them, when you pray, Pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Wait, I thought it was here, but I'm asking him to bring it. Luke 10, 9, when he sent the disciples out, he had to heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. He says, I want you guys, I'm giving you healing power. Go out there and when you heal people, tell them the kingdom's here. And then in Luke 19, as they marched to Jerusalem, it says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went away in a far country to receive for himself a kingdom 
and then return. So he's marching towards Jerusalem, and his disciples are like, here we go. Messiah's coming to the capital city. Rome's about to get wrecked. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to a far city a long time. I'm going to go get the kingdom and bring it back. So they're like, is the kingdom here? Yeah, kingdom's here. Casting out demons, you can heal the sick. The kingdom is among you. Is the kingdom here? No. Pray that your kingdom will come, and i got to go get it and bring it back. So is the kingdom here? Yes. Is the kingdom later? Yes. No. It's confusing. And it confused John the Baptist, and it confused the disciples on the way to Emmaus. Jesus, what are you saying? And what he's saying is, yes. Is the kingdom here? Yes. It's already here. And it's not yet here. It has begun, but it's not been consummated. Suffering must come first. And here's the crazy thing. That's good news. Because when he comes, he will judge evil. He will judge it. He will deal with it. But before that salvation comes his suffering. Why? Because he's coming as the humble servant, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the earth. That's what Jesus is doing that took a while to understand. Is he's, he's saying, I'm going to fill all these Old Testament prophecies about me establishing a kingdom and righteousness and justice that will have no end. And yet there's these other confusing passages like Isaiah 53 about the suffering servant. The chastisement that fell on him brought us peace. i got to fulfill that too. There's all this imagery in the Old Testament of a lamb slain, that God's guilty people, judgment is coming, and yet they can take an innocent lamb and its blood will cover their violation of the law so God's wrath goes by. There's this picture of a lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. That has to come first. Suffering first, then salvation. So before this kingdom comes, the king has to come and suffer. I've got to fulfill these passages. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. And then I'll come and establish righteousness forever. And what's good news about that for you and me is that it's the hand of grace that flies first before the hand of judgment because that's our God, right? Uh, The hand of mercy flies first. Before I bring judgment, I'm bringing mercy. I will bring justice, but I want to be the justifier of guilty people like you and me. Which incidentally, I know talking about uh, wrath is not fun, it's no one's favorite topic. And, and frankly, it concerns people just in Christian circles. Man, should we talk about the wrath of God? But here's the thing. We want justice. We want it. All of us. You've been in that moment where you've seen. I mean, in my city, 14-year-old boy was just gunned down in the streets of blocks from our church. And when you see that, you don't go, well, you know, everybody's a sinner. You're like, you want justice. That was wrong. You look at the statistics of sexual abuse of young women, and you don't blow that off or indifferent. You go, that's wrong. And we understand justice and we rightly become angry about it. No, there is a wrath that that can be just be flat off the handle anger or it can be righteous indignation over injustices done. And when you look at the news and see so much injustice in the world, you rightly feel anger. We want wrath. We just don't like it when it's aimed at us, when we're on the wrong side of that. So we want a God to bring justice, but we also go, I want you to bring justice. And then when we think about our own lives, you're like, ooh, what can you bring mercy? And Jesus says, yes, what I'm going to do is come twice. My first arrival is the inauguration of the kingdom. It's my second coming that will be the consummation of the kingdom. So is the kingdom here? Yes, it's already here, but not yet. I'm bringing salvation. I'm bringing my spirit. But the culmination comes later when I will come again and wipe evil off the face of this earth. God is slow in his judgment, and he is gracious. Uh, It's Harry Potter. How does Harry Potter wipe evil out of the wizarding world? Well, he doesn't just fight Voldemort. What does he do? He has to walk alone into that dark forest 
and he has to be struck down and murdered. And as he dies, he takes evil into the grave with him and he buries that piece of Voldemort in the grave and then he rises victorious. And after taking evil's power away, now he can ride out with his wizarding friends and establish righteousness and justice in the wizarding world. You go, wow, where does she get these ideas? (laughs) And she tells you, she said, if I would have told you I got it from here, you would have already known the end. She had to hide it as she was reading her Bible, right? That he has to bury sin first so he can be just and the justifier. That's the beauty of God, right? That I will bring a flood on the earth, but I'm going to build a boat first so I can be just and judge evil, but find a way to rescue sinners like you and me. Amen? God's graciousness requires that the son must suffer. He is slow. Think about Noah's day. In Noah's day, it says what about the kingdom? That, that it's slow, but then it will be sudden. Right? Uh, read this uh, passage with me. He starts to compare it to the days of Noah. He says in verse 26, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I don't know if your mental map of Jesus involves sermons where he uses the words destroyed them all twice. If they don't, you got to update your mental image. This is Jesus talking about judgment that's coming. But here's the beauty about God. When God announces judgment, it's because judgment is the last thing he wants to do. The announcement is a form of mercy. If I want to kill an ant, I don't tell it first. You touch my foot, you die. That's it. But God in his mercy sees injustice and calls us, hey, don't persist in this path. You're going to head a direction you were never meant to be. You're going to destroy culture in a way that, will, that, will, that, that I can't ignore that, that you don't want to go down here. It will cost you more than you want to pay. Stop doing this. God, God has to be just by saying, I can't wink at this stuff. This has to be paid for. Don't go down this path. When he announces judgment, it's because judgment's the last thing he wants to do. And don't mistake his slowness for impotence. Because he warns it's like the days of Noah. In what way is it like the days of Noah? He says it's slow, then it will be sudden. That the arrival of the Son of Man will be slow, but it will be sudden at the end. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage, and they weren't worried about judgment. Why? Because it had never come, so it's not coming. And he said, yeah, it'll be slow, but then it'll be sudden. That's how it'll work, and so prepare for it now. But that slowness is not impotence, it's patience. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 3. They formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. God's slowness is a sign of his grace, and then judgment will come. You think about Noah's name. His name means rest. Why is he named that? His dad said, perhaps he will be the one who gives us rest from the curse. And he was wrong, but he was a picture of it. That God will send someone who will build an implement that I will bring my wrath and yet find a way for human beings to journey safely across it. That's what God did, right? It's interesting because before Noah, there's a man, uh, Enoch which a lot of preachers love to preach about Enoch. You know him, that it says he walked with God and then he was not because God took him. And we all love that. Enoch just walked with God, had such deep, vibrant, quiet times that finally God was just like, look at you, get up here. And just kind of snatched Enoch and he never had to die. What a great story. But then we find out later in the New Testament, Enoch was a prophet. 
And he said he preached against the wickedness of his day, that God will judge evil. And then he named his son Methuselah. Methuselah. Which, do you know what that name means? It means when he dies, judgment. That Enoch looks at the wickedness of his day and says, God will not let this persist. He will not let you treat women this way, kids this way, men this way. Judgment will come. It will fall. But I'm warning you to get ready for it. You don't have to go out this way. God, who is going to be just and punish sin, is a justifier and making a way to escape. But you got to get in this boat. He's telling him this. Enoch is preaching. And then he names his son. And when my boy dies, judgment falls. And what's the Bible trivia question that Methuselah answers? Who is the man who lived longer than any human being on the face of the earth. When God declares judgment, it's because judgment's the last thing he wants to do. And I will let Methuselah live for generations and generations because he's slow. He's not slow because he's not coming. He's slow because he's gracious. And he will wait. But there will come a time where judgment falls. And it will be like Noah's day. Eating, drinking, judgment comes. It will be like Lot's day. When Lot warned his sons-in-laws of the coming wrath of God, they laughed because they thought he was jesting and they were unprepared. That's the idea here. And it demands a response. It demands surrender. That's the next thing. The coming of the Son of Man demands surrender. Verse 31, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who's in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. They would hang out in rooftops because of the cool breeze. And he was like, hey, when judgment's coming, don't think you're going to go down and get your possessions and flee. There's no time for that. It's too late. Hey, this thing's slow, but then it happens sudden. So you need to surrender now. Respond now while the getting's good to who God is. You don't have time to go back. Remember Lot's wife uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah. When it was time to run, Lot and his wife ran away from the city. And then it said, she turned back. And you remember, she was turned into a pillar of salt. And I remember I used to just think God was so judgmental. Like God is destroying the city, something amazing, and you can't look at it. And she just peeked at it and turned into salt. I'm like, that was a bit of fascinating to look at. Why is God so mean? I mean, like the only people who don't look at explosions are action stars, right? Like when they're walking away and things blow up behind them, they just keep staring at the camera. You're like, everyone else can be like, that's nuts, right? That's a normal human response. But that's not what the passage is saying. It's that they had built a life there. And they loved their house, they loved their TV, and they loved their status, and they loved their popularity. They loved that they got to sit at the gates of the city. And God says, I'm judging this world. Judgment is coming. They didn't want to believe it. And so when they pull them away, even as they're running away, she turns back because she's in love with the world. And it cost her. And he says, don't do that. God will bring judgment. So you got to turn loose and surrender now. you got to get ready because he's coming. People get ready. There's a train coming. You don't need no baggage. Just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the diesel humming. You don't need a ticket. You just thank the Lord. You remember that song? There ain't no place for the hopeless sinner who would hurt all mankind to save his own. Have pity on those whose chances grow thinner, for there's no hiding place against the kingdom's throne. She loved things And God says, you're missing out on the bigger story. You need to understand that my slowness does not mean there's no story. History is going someplace. God is righteous. He will judge evil. And yet he has found a way to be a justifier, even of those of us who are evil, to give us rescue through the flood. But the opportunity is to surrender now. Now is the day of grace. 
So in verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. You got to understand there's a bigger game going on now and don't miss your moment because it's slow, but it will be sudden. So you need to surrender now. It's interesting. My oldest is playing soccer right now. And, you know, soccer is a slow game. Uh, when you're a little kid in elementary school, you know, there's a long time where you're standing there and the ball's way over there running around. And uh, it's slow till it's fast, till the ball gets in your zone and it's time to go. But it's interesting to watch these little kids when the game's slow, they uh, start doing cartwheels. It's amazing. <laughs> like that's the go-to thing, you know? Few of them pick daisies, but by and large, it's cartwheels. They see the ball over there and they're like, I don't know, and off they go. And it's a normal thing as a parent. You're like, hey, baby, keep a sharp eye. Hey, baby, that was the ball. That's yours. Hannah, get it, get it, get it. Yeah, you missed it. You missed it, babe. That was your, that was your shot. That was your shot. You missed it. And, uh, and then it's back to cartwheels. And then the ball comes and you're like, ah, ah, ah. And you realize you're like, stay ready. You don't got to get ready if you stay ready. Because if you wait till the moment to get ready, you miss the moment. And that's his point. If you're like, oh man, I'm just trying to get popular. I'm just trying to build my Instagram following. If I'm trying to build my bank account, if I'm just trying to win the approval of my dad or get my peers to respect me, or I'm just trying to get a little comfort in this world. If I'm trying to buy my lake out. If I'm trying to do all this, God's like, you are completely playing the wrong game. You're doing cartwheels when judgment's coming. You got to get ready. Do you believe there's a God? Do you believe Jesus is who he says he is? Do you believe the story's going someplace? And you get ready because there's things you're going to hold on to that you're falling in love with. It's good to have money. It's good to have a house. Good to live in a neighborhood. Good to do these things, but don't love it. Don't chase it because it's going away. And you're meant to leverage this stuff for this bigger story. Like Enoch, like Methuselah, like Noah, calling people into this boat of rescue. Do you believe God made us? Do you believe he has a story? Then you get on board with this because it is slow, but it is sudden. And so we surrender now while the getting's good. Don't wait. It's now. In verse 34, he says, it will be a day of separation. I tell you in that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. Now, it's, it's interesting because uh, some people read that and uh, think that's about the, the rapture, right? That uh, someday we'll wake up and people have just shot up to heaven. But it's fascinating. I studied multiple commentators from DTS, like school that absolutely preaches the rapture, and they say that's not really what this text is about. It's not necessarily about us leaving. The, the idea of the text is judgment's coming. And the emphasis from Jesus is, hey, you got two people that externally look the same. You have two people, they're laying in the same bed. You got the same kind of house, living in the same neighborhood, same lawn, same hopes and dreams and problems. But, but a moment will come and one is with the Lord. One gets vindicated, the other gets judgment. Two women working the same kind of job, same spot, same outfits, same everything externally. But one gets vindication, the other gets judgment. And he's saying it's not the externals that matter, it's what's happening in your heart. What matters on the day of the Son of Man is what did you do with the Son? What did you do with him? Did you believe him? Did you believe what he said? Do you believe who he is and what he's doing? Is your heart his? And what he's saying here also is it's not just external, it's internal. And he's saying, hey, no one gets away with anything. You might fool all of us. You might fool history. But you won't fool God. Johnny Cash taught us that. You can run on for a long time. You can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, God's going to cut you down, right? And you're like, man, judgment is coming. And the beauty of God is he says, but before judgment, mercy. Before the second coming, the first. Before the uh, 
commensurate, I forget the word, the uh, consummation of the kingdom. There's the inauguration, the day of grace, the sun coming in humility, calling you into this boat. That's the idea in this text, right? Uh, verse 37, it ends super weird. It says, and they say to him, where, Lord? And he says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. They're like, okay, God, you're saying all this is going to go. All this is going to end. How do we know where? And, and he had already established, it's like lightning in the sky. No one's going to miss it. But he tells them, hey, all you need to know is where there's a dead body, you're going to see buzzards. You're like, what? what? Like, what does that mean? It's a little enigmatic, but the, the idea it gets is that judgment is coming. And the good news is we've been called in rescue first. And so this is the day of mercy. These are the days of grace. That's where we are. Uh, I have not read Robin Hood, but I've seen the movie starring Kevin Costner. <laughs> and what happens in that movie? The king goes away on a long journey. And while the king is gone, what happens? The sheriff gets authority and he uses it to be unjust. He is selfish. He is cruel. He exploits people with that power. He puts them under his thumb. And people get accustomed to it and just get used to just trying to grind out a little happiness underneath this unjust and broken system. And then Robin Hood comes home and says, this is wrong. It's wrong to treat people these way. These people have dignity. This is not the right way to handle people. This is unjust. This is not right. The king wouldn't like this and I serve the king. Well, the king's not here, but he's coming. And when he comes, he will find me doing his business. Well, you'll lose your castle. All right, I'll lose it. You're going to lose your house. Fine, I'll go live in the woods and build a tree house. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to get a little band of people, and we are going to expend our energy rescuing and helping those in need. And we're going to keep doing it, even though people say, you're a fool. This king's never coming back. My allegiance is to a king I cannot see, and because of my allegiance to him, I will serve these people I can see who are hurting and facing injustice. I will care about them. I will love them, because a day is coming when we will see Sean Connery return. <laughs> and when he comes... The sheriff will tremble in fear because judgment has now come. Many people will hang their head in shame because when they look into their eyes of their king, they realized we blew off his commands. We did not value his heart. We just chased our own. But the Robin Hood and that merry band of men will be filled with joy because I ran with the king and it wasn't easy my desire longed. I took this money and yeah, I spent it on my life, but I spent it on helping kids. I spent it on and preaching the gospel. I spent it on serving people. I took my mouth and I used it to pray for people. I prayed for my enemies. I prayed for those who persecute me. I realized judgment is coming. There's a bigger story. I didn't get hung up in little stories. I didn't look at my political opponent and wish death on them because I wouldn't wish hell on anybody. So I can disagree with their ideas, but pray for their soul. And I'm going to realize there's a bigger story here and I'm not going to miss out on it. I'm not going to do cartwheels while the building's on fire that I'm going to look around and say, the Son of God came and gave his life to bring mercy. And I am going to call everyone into this boat. And I'm going to use my time and energy and money and all that I have to tell people, hey, it's slow, but it will be sudden. But suffering came first to provide us with salvation. Surrender. Come to the King, who is just. All evil will be punished. And the justifier. But he's made a way for evil people like you and like me. That's our story. Jesus told a parable at the end. Y'all already did it, so I won't unpack it, but tells the story of a persistent widow coming to an unjust judge. He said the judge didn't fear God or like people. 
No sense of justice or mercy moved his heart, but because the widow harassed him, he gave her what she wanted. And he says, it's like that for you, believer. He said, don't lose heart. Keep talking to me. Keep praying to me. He says, when the Son of Man does return, will he find faith on the earth? Will he see us saying, I believe you. I trust you. Though you tarry, I will wait, and I will have in my life the priorities of the king. So when I see his face, I rejoice. That's who we're meant to be. That's what we're all invited to be. But the Son of Man who's come in grace and will come in justice. So, Father, thank you. Thank you that you warn us because of your mercy. Thank you for justice. There are people in here that have been abused and it was wrong and they never got justice. Thank you that you promise us though justice tarries, it will come with finality. And so we're comforted by that. The universe isn't just chaos. God rules and he rules with justice. And though he may tarry, he will bring it. And that comforts us and then terrifies us because we realize none of us are just. And we're in trouble. And praise God that your suffering came before the days of the Son of Man. That you came humble to inaugurate a kingdom where you took on our sin and you took on our shame and you took on our punishment, you took on the wrath of God, you buried it in the grave and you rose triumphantly. And God, I pray for any here who's never put their faith in Jesus. That's what we're selling here, man. We're not selling be a good person. We're not selling turn over a new leaf. We're selling come to the Son of God. He is rich in mercy. He can forgive anybody, everybody. He puts his very spirit in you that moves you to obey his decrees. You you can start living a kingdom kind of life now so that as we walk by his priorities in the days he's put us on this earth, we rejoice in the day of his coming. And God, I pray as we do serve our neighborhoods and serve people around us and love our neighbors and pray for their souls, I pray, Lord, we'd see spring change, Houston change, Texas change, the world change. Because the people of God are living by faith in God. We believe you wrote a story and it's good. And we are running to you and calling others to come with us, receiving the grace of the Son of God until the day he calls us home. Lord, we love you. We thank you that when we were far off, you came for us and that there's no one too far gone now. That across the chasm of our tragedies, you crossed with your grace. Thank you, Lord. We trust you.